Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can draw near to your majesty, not because of our good works, but because of your great grace, because of the work of your Son. And Lord, I thank you that we can come near to the creator of the universe. We can know you in an intimate and a personal way. Lord, I pray right now as we go to, to your word that, Father, you administer to every heart that is here. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. May it not be the words of men, but the word of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It's really, really good to have you here. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand, because we will be looking at the Bible today. I want to encourage you to follow along. It's so much easier to track with the words. Just raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you a Bible. And if you would like, you can absolutely take that home as our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible at home or you like that one better, please help yourself. If you do have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament on Sunday morning. want to encourage you to pray about coming out on Wednesday night. We're going through the Old Testament. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 8 this coming Wednesday. I pray that uh, you all had a great Thanksgiving. It's really, I'm really glad that you're here this morning. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about the body of Christ. What we've been seeing so far in Corinthians is Corinth was a wicked and vile and perverse city. It was the sin city of the day. It was morally bankrupt. They were separated and had turned away from God completely. They were filled with idol worship and they followed vain philosophers. And Paul had established a church there five years earlier. And now he's writing a letter because he's heard that the world's having more of an impact on the church than the church is having on the world. And he's exhorting them and encouraging them to get their eyes back on God. And we talked about the immorality that was in the church, the division that was in the church. They were suing each other. They were fighting with each other. They were falling into idol worship. They were just literally becoming like the world. And Paul wrote this letter to exhort them to get their eyes back on God. And we saw the last couple of weeks that he talked to them about marriage and and how their marriages should be set apart to the Lord. He talked about how they should not use their own liberty in Christ to stumble somebody else, that our walk with God should be an encouragement to others, not cause others to stumble. We shouldn't be so self-righteous about our liberty that we cause other people to stumble. As Christians, we should be the most loving, kind, and gracious people on this planet, and we should be the ones encouraging others in their walk, and they should see Jesus in us and want what we have. Amen? And then we saw last, again, the last week, we, we talked some more about just the, the way the church was out of order. And there needed to be order in the church. And he talked about how that God has called for there to be submission in the body of Christ, submission in the church, and submission in the home. Now that brings us to chapter 12. And what I want to do before we get to the text this morning, I'm going to take a few minutes and I want to talk to you guys just from my heart. And I want to share some things with you about the body of Christ itself. You know, often as we, we look at spiritual gifts and things like that in the Bible, and that's what we're going to look at today is the spiritual gifts that we've all been given, a question that should be asked first is, what is the church all about and why does the church exist? Because I really believe the big picture that God put in my heart to talk to you this morning is about the church. Here's some questions I hear, maybe you've heard them yourself, and maybe you've asked them yourself. Maybe you're asking this yourself right now. Why do I have to come to church? Why do I have to come to church? Is it important for me to be here? Can't I just believe in God and stay home and watch football? I mean, you know, God knows my heart. I mean, well, the Raiders and the Niners are no good, so that's God just bringing you to church, right? It isn't just, isn't it just about my own relationship with God? I mean, do I have to be a part of, 
you know, a church? I mean, come on, that just seems so religious, and I'm just not into that. You know, it, and it, as long as I live a good and respectful life, and, you know, I'm, I'm respectful of others, why do I need to, to belong to a church or, you know, even go? What's the point? I mean, as long as I'm a nice guy, I'm sure God will give me some brownie points in heaven and it'll all work out, right? You know, and, and I believe that in God, I, but I don't really want to go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. Ever heard that before? Yeah, well, just come on down, there'll be one more, right? I mean, the reality is, the reality is that we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and, you know, we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, but too often we look at church and we view it as this, you know, this organization we must join. You know, I used to go to church, but people that have hurt me, so I just don't want to go back. What's the point in going to church? Do I really need to be here? My prayer is that we look at the chapter this morning, that question will be answered loud and clear for you, as he talks about spiritual gifts and how God has called us to be one body. Each of these questions or statements reveals a a complete misunderstanding of what the body of Christ really is and how it functions, as do some of the reasons for people coming to church. Some people come to church with the wrong motives. Some people come because it's a religious duty, I've got to go. Yeah, I've been taught since I was a kid, I gotta go, so I gotta go, and you get, you know, drag yourself out of bed and come down here like, oh man, I gotta take my medicine, like going to the dentist, right? Oh, I gotta go, drill on my teeth for a while, and I'll go home, right? I gotta put in my week, right? Put in my hour. Some people do it to please their family or friends, keep my wife off my back, I'll go once in a while, make her happy, right? In an attempt to alleviate guilt, I feel really bad, I probably should go to church this week. You know, I did some really bad stuff, so I better go this week, you know, kind of even out that scale up in heaven. Sometimes, again, to score those brownie points with God, or, well, maybe it'll be good for my kids if I go. You know, if I go down there, I might make some new friends, or, you know, hey, I I need a community, quote, community to get involved in. But I want us, again, as we look at spiritual gifts this morning, to see the big picture of church, because all of those things have missed the point. What is the body of Christ? How does it function? What does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? And also for Christians to define what true fellowship really is. How important true biblical fellowship really is to our own individual spiritual growth. And so before we look at the text, I want to tell you what the church is and what the church is not. First of all, the church is not a building. Praise God for that. We meet in a gym. Amen? I mean, the reality is a lot of people think of church and think of a building down in the street corner with a steeple. That's not the church. It's a building where the church meets, but it's not the church. It's not an organization. It's not a charity. It's not a venue for political causes. And it's not even the source of salvation. So what is the church? Why does it exist? The church, the word ecclesia, means called out ones. The church is not a building. It's people. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. It's not where we go, but it's who we are. We don't go to church, we are the church, amen? And we are the body of believers that make up the foundation of what God created to be His bride. We are the church, the called out ones, those set apart unto the Lord. And it's very significant that as the church, that we be in fellowship with each other, that we use the gifts God has given us, that we might encourage each other in our walk. And we're going to look at that very clearly today. Again, The church is the term used to define the group of all true, born-again believers in Christ. I want to make it really clear. Christ is the head of the church, not the pastor. I'm just another sinner just like you guys. And I'm a, you know, ask my wife, she'll tell you, right, more than you probably want to know. I'm a, I'm a, a man filled with frailties like any man. 
And that's why we don't follow men, because men will always disappoint us. We follow the Lord, and He never will. Amen? And Christ is the head of the church, and He's the one that we follow. And we are His bride. Matthew 16, 18, and Jesus said, And upon this rock, speaking of Himself, I will build my church. Jesus is the foundation of the church. And again, we don't attend church as much as we become a part of it. In Acts 2.47, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So it's not joining a church and you know, signing a membership card that makes us a part of it. By the way, Calvary Chapel, no membership. How many of you, how many of you have signed a membership card? Lying's a sin. There isn't any, right? The reality is, you become a member or a part of this church. If you're born again and you come here, we're family, amen? And that's how it works. And we don't vote you in and, you know, do a test or anything like that. You just say, you know what, I'm born, I'm, this is where I'm called to be? Praise the Lord. And that's what the body of Christ is. The Lord adds daily those who are being saved. It's how we were saved from our sins is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and being drawn by Him, not by our works or by our church attendance. I know people that think, if I go, you know, I go to church to prove I'm saved. No, I go to church because I am part of the church, because I'm saved, and it makes me desire fellowship. It makes me desire to use the gifts God has given me. And those are the gifts we're going to talk about this morning. So how do we become a part of the church? Again, it's not by attendance, it's not by joining an organization, but it's by being born again. It's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's by the fact that He suffered and died that you might have eternal life. And I become a part of His bride. I become a part of the church. Romans 10.9 says, If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. That's what makes you a Christian. Not because you, were, you grew up in a Christian home. Not because your grandparents were missionaries. Not because you have a big family Bible at home that weights down all this stuff. You know, it's not any of those things. It's because you have an intimate, personal relationship with God through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a Christian, and that, was, and that is what makes you a part of the church. You know what? If you're not a Christian, coming to church would be the most boring thing ever because you come and you're like, these people are aliens. They're singing, I don't know why. They read that book and they're excited about it and I don't get it, right? Because it's the Holy Spirit that enlightens the Word of God to us. It's the Holy Spirit that opens up the truth to us and gives us a passion and a desire to worship God. He's worthy to be worshipped and to be praised, amen? He saved me from eternity separated from God. How can I not worship Him? How can I not praise Him? How can I not be in love with Him? When we've been born again, He saved us from our sins. He made us a part of His bride. He sets us apart to Him. And in Acts 2.42, it describes what the church is called to do. We're almost to the text, I promise. (laughs) We're to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the Word of God, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. That's it. There's the church. The apostles' doctrine, the Word of God. Fellowship, being together, having Jesus in common. The breaking of bread, which is communion or agape feast, and prayer. And all of those things equip us to fulfill the Great Commission, to share with the lost and dying world. So how do you grow as a Christian? You feed on the Word. That's why we come together on Sunday. That's what you ought to be doing during the week, is you ought to be feeding on God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by Word of God, right? Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? It's the Bible that transforms our lives. Fellowship, where we use our spiritual gifts. The breaking of bread, communion, where we look back to the cross, we look forward to heaven, and we examine our own hearts. 
And then lastly, prayer, which is so significant. And so, when you don't come to church, your life is incomplete without fellowship. Because the church, which is what you are if you're a Christian, the church is the apostles' doctrine, the word of God. Well, that's what happens at church. It's fellowship where you use the gifts God has given you to minister to, to one another and where God uses their gifts to minister to you. That's church. That's fellowship. And we need that. You know what? These people in this room need you. They need your spiritual gifts to, to minister to them. And you all have them as we're going to see this morning. If you've been born again, you have spiritual gifts and God desires to use you. And that blows me away that Almighty God would use me. Doesn't it blow you away that Almighty God uses you? And what's also important to note is that you need these people. Just as when you're not here, your gifts are missing, so too, when you're not here, you miss out on all of their gifts. And the way that they want to minister to you, whether it's leading you into worship, or you being taught the Word of God, or somebody coming and encouraging you and putting their arm around you during a difficult time. We are the body of Christ and we are family. We are together the church the called out ones, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And He has given us gifts as individuals that we might edify the body. I know that was a long opening, but I wanted you to understand what the church is and what the church is not. And so that when we read about these spiritual gifts that have been, giving to, been given to us as believers, that we understand how they're to be used. So let's begin looking at the body of Christ and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And first we're going to see the source of our gifts. Understanding where they originate and what they're to be used for, which is for the glory of God. And then lastly, we'll look at the diversity of our gifts. Verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Spiritual gifts, not spiritual wages. You know, too often, and this was happening in Corinth, People think that because they have a supernatural gift from God, that somehow that makes them more important than somebody else. And this was going on in Corinth. Those who were blessed by God the most became arrogant. And they, started, and they were ignorant about the truth of what these gifts really were. They're gifts. That means God gave it to you. You didn't earn it. So any gift you have, it's because God has been gracious and He alone should be glorified for it. Amen? Don't take credit. If you have a gift... To, to sing praise songs or to lead people into worship, then God should be glorified, not you. Amen? If you have the gift of administration, the gift of helps, the gift of ministering to our children, what a blessing it is, but God alone should be glorified. And above all else, if anybody's in the greatest danger of falling into pride, it's the pastor. And I have to constantly be remi remind myself that, you know what? I am a sinner saved by grace, and anything that God does is miraculous through a sinful, wicked person like me. Now, I've been saved, I've been regenerated, I'm a new creation in Christ, I'm walking in the spirit of the living God, but take heed lest I fall. And if I think it's all about me, that's when God will stop using me. The reality is it has everything to do with Him and nothing to do with me. And we need to remind ourselves constantly, Lord... May I not be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. May I never take credit. May I never touch your glory. God alone be the praise. Amen? Don't praise men. Don't honor God. Praise Him. He will never disappoint you. And they were gifts that were not earned by men. And, it, and they were given with a specific reason. To minister to the needs of the body. But sadly, the church in Corinth was being divided over their gifts. You know, it's interesting. He says there that term, 
I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul says that several times in his letters. And what he says repeatedly, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the Old Testament being a picture of Christ. I don't want you to be ignorant of the rapture of the church. I don't want you to be ignorant of the tactics of Satan. I don't want you to be ignorant about the future of Israel. The word ignorant is uninformed. And spiritual ignorance, we miss out on God's highest and it produces physical heartache and it happens when we're ignorant to what the Bible teaches. You know, one of the biggest problems in the church today is biblical ignorance. People will quote what they think is in the Bible and they don't know what is in the Bible. Well, God says God helps those who help themselves. Really? What verse would that be? <laughs> not in my Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's just, no, uh, that's not in the Bible either. And it's amazing how many things people will quote. You know, they're quoting it to me, and I'm like, bro, that's not in the Bible. And then you quote the Bible. Oh, that's not. Yes, it is. Because ignorance. People don't read the Bible. We spend more time in People magazine and reading the newspaper and watching television. And we're, we're up on who's dating, but we don't know what the Bible says. Amen? Got the statistics of every batting average of everybody in the league, but we don't know what the Bible says. God's Word ought to be near and dear to our hearts, but they were ignorant about spiritual gifts, and they were walking around in pride thinking they had done something special. No, God did something special in that He used you. Amen? And He alone should be glorified. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Today we have no excuse for spiritual ignorance. We've got the completed Word of God. And if you don't know this, you've heard me say it a hundred times, so here comes number 101. This is 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And every single line in here, and I love when people say, oh, it's filled with contradictions. Show me one. Come by my office anytime. I'll, show me one. There aren't any. Amen? And this is what we stand. God's Word is faithful, and we have no reason to be ignorant because it's right here. Most of you have ten of them at your house. You got them in every, I got them, this is my study, and the, you know, I got the study Bible, and the, this Bible, and the kids Bible, and the teen Bible, and the, the blue Bible, and the red Bible, and the, you know what I mean? The sports guy's Bible, and the 49er Bible, and the, you know, the Republican Bible, and the, no, 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 I don't have one of those. But, you know what I'm saying, they got all these different Bibles, and the reality is that we got to not just have Bibles, we need to be in the Word, Amen. And he says, you guys are ignorant because you don't spend time. And he doesn't want you to have spiritual ignorance. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit enlightening it to us. We have tapes and videos and books. And we have Christian radio. There's no reason we should be biblically ignorant. We're biblically ignorant because we choose to be. Because we've made other things more important than God. And he writes to them, guys, I don't want you to be ignorant. You're divided in the church. You're fighting with each other because you don't open the Bible. Because if we open the Bible, it'll solve everything. Amen? If we go to the Lord in prayer and seek the Holy Spirit's guidance, He will lead and direct us. Verse 2. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. I think he's making a point. Hey guys, don't forget who you were. You're walking around arrogant and puffed up in your gifts. Don't you remember you were Gentiles? The word there is actually heathens. You guys were heathens serving dumb idols. I love Paul sometimes how he just you know, softens things down for people, right? I mean, Paul's so direct. People say that to me sometimes. Pastor Dave, you know, you're so direct. I'm like, can you give me someone in the Bible who wasn't? You got an example in the Bible of somebody who wasn't direct? John the Baptist. Yeah, that guy watered stuff down. The Apostle Paul, Peter. 
Jesus, you brood of vipers, he said. You know, we're, we, don't you want it direct? Should you have to sit there? What is he trying to say? Amen? I mean, you want, don't you just want to know what the Bible says? And that was Paul's heart. He looks and he says, you guys were carried away to dumb, you were following dumb idols. You guys were chasing after blocks of wood. You're walking around arrogant because you got spiritual gifts that God blessed you with that have nothing to do with you and everything to do with Him. Let me remind you, you used to follow dead blocks of wood. You're just a bunch of heathens following statues. Do you remember that? I mean, he's bringing them back and he's contrasting who they were and who they are now. He's reminding them. And you know what? I think it's important that we realize who we are in Christ, but we never forget who we once were. Amen? You know what? We would never be arrogant looking at somebody who's struggling with sin if we would remember where we've come from. Amen? If we would remember what God's done for us, we would never look at anybody else. We would be brokenhearted over the lost. And he said, you were car-, and the word there for, for lead is carried away. They were not able to distinguish between false, dumb idols and the true and living God. And he gives a clear contrast between their current experience and the person that they once were. Living in their own fleshly strength, they were headed to destruction. But again, he points to the grace of God who delivered them out of this, their, their previous state. And praise God, he did that for us. He says, verse 3, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit had come, He will testify of Me. When Jesus was on earth, who did He point to? The Father. And when the Holy Spirit came, He points to the Son. The Holy Spirit lives in us, we point people to Christ. Christ came, He pointed people to the Father. Again, a perfect picture of all of them being God, yet equally submitted one to another. And so God's heart is that we would be the same, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to promote Himself or any man, but to glorify God. It says, He will glorify me, and He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus pointed to the Father, and the Spirit pointed to the Son. Holy Spirit will never in any way deny or curse Jesus. The word there, accursed, is the word anathema. And nobody who has the Spirit of God will call Jesus anathema. You hear anybody tearing down Jesus Christ? They don't know God. Because if they have the Spirit of the living God living inside of them, they will not tear down Jesus. And let me just make it real clear. If somebody tries to say that Jesus is less than He is, it's tearing down Jesus to say that He's one of many gods. Amen? He is the only God. And you are cursing Him when you make Him equal with anything else. Jesus is alone God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. The Mormon church would tell you that He is the brother of Lucifer. They would tell you that, that He used to be a man on a planet. And, that, you know, and Elohim was a man on a planet, and now Jesus is the Savior of this world. That's a lie. calling Jesus anathema. That's making Him less than He is. We don't make Jesus, all the cults do the same thing. Make God less and man more. Man, oh, you're going to be God of your own planet one day. Well, that sounds pretty good. I'm up for that. All right. And you're going to have nothing but women that you're going to populate planets with. You have as many wives as you want. Oh, wow. How do I get in this church? Right? And the reality is that, you know, these guys that flew into the t- Twin Towers, right? Islam, right? What did they do? They thought that they were going to have 70 virgins and mansions in heaven waiting for them. 
wrong, right? I mean, that was a, that was a quick, whoops, made a mistake, and that's going to cost me for eternity. But here's the reality. The reality is that we don't make Jesus less than He is. And when the Spirit of the living God is living inside of us, all we do is glorify and honor and praise and worship His name. And it says there, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That means everyone who says Jesus is Lord must have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And notice it doesn't say anyone who says that Jesus is Savior. He must be Savior, but He must be Lord. Amen? He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. I'm not talking about somebody walking an aisle and praying a prayer and then living like the world. It's saying Jesus is not just Savior. It's not just the get-out-of-hell free card in my wallet so I can go to heaven one day. It's literally making Him Lord of my life. And that is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if He's Lord of your life, who gets the glory? He does, amen? Because it's the Holy Spirit that drew you. It's the Holy Spirit that, that brought you into a place of brokenness and brought you into a place of desiring Him to be your Savior, and now equips you to continue to walk and follow Him with your whole heart. And he says here, and I love this, nobody who calls Him a curse is of God, and nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. No man can take credit or honor, for the gift was bestowed upon Him by God. And I want to say this as a side note. Any true believer is always in control of himself. The Holy Spirit is... When he's at work, can I say this? Today people are looking for the experience instead of looking for the Savior, instead of looking for the Lord, instead of looking to have an intimate fellowship with God. Can I tell you something that I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and in my relationship with God, I love Him with my whole heart. And let me tell you something, I've never been out of control. You know what, and what I'm talking about, you go into some services and somebody says something and people are all falling all over this place and people are rolling in the floor. That's not God. Because the Bible says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, and it says self-control. Amen? If the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding and directing, we don't get outside of ourselves. We're not out of control. We're being led by God. Would God make you out of control? That's not what God does. People talk about being drunk in the Spirit. Stop it. Be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? We got drunk tanks in our church because I'm so filled with the Spirit I couldn't drive home. Now, stop it. That's not, the Bible does not teach that. But sadly, there's churches all over the place where that kind of stuff goes on. And I'm sharing this with you to warn you that when the Holy Spirit is moving, you know what happens? I have greater control and greater understanding and greater passion and greater vision. I'm not loose, I'm not outside of my mind. Amen? You know what? Nobody in the Bible was ever, quote, slain in the Spirit. That's not biblical either. People slapping people on the forehead, and people falling down, this big emotional thing and shaking, and people are looking for the next emotion. I don't need it. I've got Jesus, amen? And the Holy Spirit lives inside of me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and He's never less with me or more with me. He's always in me, amen? Now, I can be baptized in the Spirit and filled to overflowing, and it pours out on others, but it's important to note that when we walk with God, there's control to that. There's a passion in it. We're being led by the Lord. Amen? And He's being glorified. And you know what? We're not to worship. We worship God. We worship Jesus empowered by the Spirit. And that is so key. Now take a look at this. Now remember, He's talking to these guys that are fighting over their gifts and some of them are arrogant about which gifts they have. Verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. While there are varying gifts, it's the same Spirit that gives them all. 
So the one who's arrogant about his gift, look, they're different streams. They all flow from the same fountain. Amen? They all originate in the same place, and all of them are gifts from God, and they're all equal in importance and significance. So he's saying, yeah, there's diversity in gifts. Maybe someone's got the gift of teaching and somebody else has the gift of helps. Those are equal callings in the eyes of God. We're going to see that as we continue on in the text. So there's a diversity of gifts, but it's the same Spirit who gives them all. It's the Holy Spirit. There are a diversity of ministries, but the same Lord. The word for ministries there speaks of offices. You know, whether it be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher... Those are established gifts in the church. But, but you'll notice there's a diversity in those gifts, but there's the same Lord. Same Spirit, same Lord. And then lastly in verse 6, there's a diversity of activities, but the same God who works all in all. Diversity of activities is talking about works of faith or labors of love, the healing of the sick. Uh, speaking in an unknown language. It's easy for us to elevate our gifts, but what he's making it very clear is that while the gifts may be different, the ministries may be different, the activities may be different, they all come from the same source. And he's telling it to these guys who are being arrogant because they were elevating themselves. Can I tell you something? And this is just me. You know what makes me sick to my stomach? When I go to a pastor's conference or I go somewhere and there's somebody there who's well-known, whether it be because of their ability to worship, maybe they're a Christian band or something like that, or maybe it's a speaker. And because they're well-known, they get this arrogance. They have bodyguards, some of them. I'm like, dude, that ain't right. You got bodyguards because God's blessed you so much, you got to keep people away from your blessing? I don't get that. The reality is that we are servants, amen? You want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? The servant of all. And we should never be elevating ourselves because God has gifted us. We should be glorifying God and it should make us even more responsible to minister to people and be available to them, amen? If God's gifted you greatly, then that means you need to be more available to use that gift, amen? And you shouldn't be, you know, I, I mean, I, I've had friends who did, that had an unlisted phone number. I had a pastor, had an unlisted phone number. I'm like, what's up? With, when I go home, I want to be home. When does a shepherd go home? And leave the sheep to themselves. Well, it's not Sunday between 10 and 12. Good luck, right? No, that's not the shepherd. He leaves at 99 and goes after the one in the ditch, amen? And we're, you know what? We've got different gifts, but it's one spirit who's given them all to us. And it's just as high a calling when someone comes here early and sets up the chairs as it is for the person who leads worship or the person who teaches the Bible. Because they're all necessary in the kingdom of God. And we shouldn't look down on one and look up to another, amen? All of them are gifts that come from God, and God alone should be glorified. They're given by Him and are equal in significance. Now notice, did you see the Trinity there in verses 4, 5, and 6? Look what it says. Diverse gifts, same Spirit. Different ministries, same Lord. Different activities, same God. That's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit right there, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's where all the gifts originate from God. And He alone is the one to be glorified. Different gifts, same God at work. You know what? I want to say this, that sometimes I am personally so blessed when I just see other people using their gift that I can't even put it in words sometimes. And you might think I'm out of my mind, but that's okay. It won't be the first time, right? But here's the thing. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to somebody on the radio, 
and I'll be blessed, and I'll, I'll, man, that's the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'll be at Friday morning study, and somebody will teach, and I'll just be blessed. I'll, thank you, Lord. I'll listen to somebody leading worship, or I'll be worshiping the Lord, and I'm, I'm saying, thank you, Lord. I, I'll come in and see smiles on faces of people who are setting up chairs and the sound equipment and working in the kitchen. And I'm saying, thank you, Lord, for these gifts that these people have, and they're using them. A teacher setting up a classroom, leading our little children off to a class, and I'm saying, thank you, Lord, for using that gift in that person's heart. Assistant pastors counseling and praying with people, and I say, thank you, Lord. People faithfully giving, thank you, Lord. And you may be sitting here this morning, and you might say, but I, I understand that. That's a blessing. That's great, but I don't have any spiritual gifts. You know, that's great for the people that have them, but I just don't have any. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Each one. That means everyone. Amen? That means you. You're part of everyone. Amen? And so that means if you've been born again, that God has given you spiritual gifts. And as He has given you spiritual gifts, that's one of the reasons that it's so important that you be here, because you have gifts that I don't. You have gifts that other people in this room do not. And God desires to use that gift that you might minister for His glory and minister to everybody in the room. What a privilege and what a blessing it is that God would use us. And it says there, He's given to each one for the profit of all. Each and every believer has spiritual gifting that is for the benefit of others. You know what's interesting? No spiritual gift in this section here is for the benefit of the one who has it. It doesn't say that he has a gift so that he might be glorified. He has a gift so he might be ministered to. Every gift that he or she has is so they might minister to somebody else. And so it says that we're given these gifts for the profit of all, for the glory of God and the benefit of others. The Holy Spirit is with us always and He's made manifest again as we are willing to let Him use us for His glory. Now let's look at verses 8-10 through 10 and list some of these spiritual gifts. Now this is not a complete list, this is a partial list. Over in Romans and in several other places in the Word, we're going to see greater and more expanded lists. I've seen is at least 19 different spiritual gifts, and there's probably even more than that. Just a few of them are listed here. Let's take a look. And some of these you might say, what in the world is that? Well, hopefully you'll walk out understanding. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now, what is the word of wisdom? The word of wisdom is not human wisdom. The word of wisdom is a word brought to bear in a specific situation that answers a question completely. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they just share something with you and you go, oh, that's the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? I used to sit in counseling sessions with Pastor Don in San Jose. He'd be counseling somebody and I'd be sitting there and sometimes I have input. And, I, and when we get done, the person would talk for 20 minutes and Pastor Don would say something and I'd go, wow, that's the Lord right there. That's a word of wisdom. It's not something that comes from my own intellect or my own ability to understand, but it comes from Almighty God speaking through me and ministering to somebody else. And it says here, He gives some the word of wisdom. And you know what? I know many people who have this gift. And, that, and again, it's not something we always have at every moment, but it's a specific time, and you'll be talking to them, and most often it comes one-on-one. You're talking to somebody and you're just sharing your heart with them and you're seeking godly counsel and they don't even know all the details and they just say something to you and go, oh, that's the Lord right there. That's the word of wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Not because he or she is so smart, but because God is using them. Amen? And praise the Lord again that God uses us in such a way. 
It says there, not only the word of wisdom, but to another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who gives us these words. Now, what is the word of knowledge? The word of knowledge is information which you, which you could have only received supernaturally. And it's usually for the edification, encouragement, or exhortation of another. I'll never forget, I've had this happen to me many times in life, but one time I was down in Southern California, and nobody knew about this but me and my wife and my senior pastor. I was praying about leaving a church I'd been at for 10 years. I was the youth pastor. I was doing men's ministry. I was teaching in the prison, and I loved being there. But I was praying about leaving and going and starting a church somewhere, and I didn't even know where I was going to go, and I was really hesitant. I was in my comfort zone. Isn't it a lot easier just to stay where you are? Amen? I'm in the comfort zone. God's doing great things. It's very fruitful. And this brother who I barely knew at church, I'm up afterward, and one of the pastors praying with people, and he waits until everybody's gone, and he comes up to me and he says, Pastor Dave, this may sound really crazy to you, and I'm not even sure it's from the Lord or what, but I have to tell you. And he, and he proceeded to tell me for three minutes everything I was going through, every decision I was about to make, and what God wanted me to do. And I was like, whoa, that's the Lord, amen? I mean, this guy doesn't even know what's going on. That is a word of knowledge that could only be given to him by God. And obviously, I'm not in Lancaster anymore, so God used that, Amen. Because he said, you know, and he shared with me so clearly, and I was like, bro, you know, you didn't, he said, I don't even know that this is crazy, I don't know if you've been thinking about this, but this is what God told, and this is what's on my heart, I need to share this with you. Word of knowledge. And you know what, God still wants to do that in us today, amen? God wants to just use us when we're available to be able to go and share truth with somebody else in a loving way to encourage them in their walk with God. By the way, every word of wisdom and every word of knowledge will always agree with the word of God. Amen? I've had people, I got a word for you. Uh, No, you don't. You got a word. I don't know where you got it though, right? Amen? Sometimes they come up and they tell you they got a word for you and it contradicts the Bible. I had a guy call me up. I got a word from the Lord this last week. I may have shared it. He called me up and told me that he was David. Like David and Goliath, David. I'm like, dude, no you're not. Yeah, I'm David. And I'm supposed to be one of the two there are two witnesses in Jerusalem, and you need to give me a plane ticket so I can go over there and be ready for the rapture. And I'm like, dude, you are not David, and no, you're not one of the two witnesses. He's like, well, how do you know? I said, because the Bible says you're not. David's in heaven, amen? You're not David. And it's just amazing. People, oh, I got a word from God. That's not a word from God. If it's a word from anybody, it's a word from the devil, Amen. God didn't tell you that, but people say, I've got a word, so be careful. Just because someone says, I've got a word for you, doesn't mean it's from God, amen? It'll always agree with the Bible, but there are times when someone say, I have a word for you, and you go, yeah, that, there it is, I, amen. I bear witness with that. Holy Spirit within me bears witness with that, and the word of God agrees with that, amen? That's the word of knowledge. That's where a word of wisdom can come from. It will never be contrary to the Bible, amen? That's another reason why we should not be ignorant of God's word. Because if we're not, then when someone tells us something that's not from the Word, we'll know it. Amen? Oh, dude, you're out of your mind. You're not David. Stop it. You know, I've met Jesus twice on the mall in Santa Cruz. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm Jesus. Did you know that? I'm like, dude, no, you're not. (laughs) Yes, I am. No, you're not. Bro, aren't you glad we have the Bible? No, you're not. You may have long hair. You may be trying to look like him, but you're not him. And the reality is that all of that will be confirmed in the Word of God. He says, to another faith by the same Spirit. Notice, by the same Spirit, by the same Spirit. The gift of faith is the unique ability 
to trust God against all circumstances. Now, all of us as Christians have a measure of faith, but there's a gift of faith, and I believe it's in moments in time where we step out and it just doesn't make any sense, and we go, you know what, but God told me to do it, and I'm doing it anyway. You know what, it makes no sense. It makes no sense financially. It makes no sense, period. But you know what, I know God told me, so I'm going to do it. That's the gift of faith. When Peter got out of the boat to walk on the water, that's the gift of faith, amen? When the woman with the issue of blood said, if Jesus passes by and I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be healed. That's the gift of faith. And when Jesus came by, she crawled in, touched the hem of his garment, and what happened? She was healed. George Mueller in the, 19, in the 1800s had a huge orphanage, thousands of kids in it when it got to its largest size. And do you know he never, ever, ever asked for any help? He just prayed. And trusted that God would bring the help. And many times, he would be literally, Saturday morning, he's got all the kids sitting in there. At the time, he had 150 kids sitting in the dining hall. They didn't have any food. And he brought them down there anyway. And he said, let's just pray for our food that we don't have. But let's pray. And they were praying for the food. And while they were praying, there was a knock on the door. And a guy who had a refrigerated uh, buggy, or I don't know what you'd call it, right? Wagon. A refrigerated wagon had broken down out front, filled with eggs and milk and cheese. And he couldn't get anywhere. He said, this stuff's all going to go bad. You want it? I mean, that's faith, amen? You're praying for food with the kids all sitting there hungry and trusting that God's going to bring it. That's an act of faith. And you know what? There needs to be more of that in the body of Christ where we step out and say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I know it doesn't make sense, but Lord, I trust you. Moved by the Holy Spirit. That is the gift of faith. It says also, to another, gifts of healings. Now, I want to make this real clear. I do not believe that any man or woman on this planet has the, quote, gift of healing. I don't believe that anybody can just heal whoever they want, whenever they want, because that's not biblical. You know what? The Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh all of his life. If, do you know anybody who was more on fire for God than Paul? Do you think Paul had faith? Paul got stoned to death and went back into the city. Paul was in shipwrecks, right? Paul was beaten and he never gave up and he never stopped seeking God. But you know what? He was sick. And there are people today that say, oh, you need more faith and you wouldn't be sick. That's not true. Because sometimes God chooses to do the miraculous and heal us, but other times he chooses to allow us to continue to be sick that he might be glorified in the fact that we continue to love him in the midst of sickness. Amen? So sometimes he delivers us for his glory and sometimes he allows us to go through it. But there are gifts of healing, and I believe, and I shared this on Wednesday, there was a time when I was diagnosed with a, a, a cancerous growth behind my cheekbone. And they were going to have to saw my cheekbone off right here when I was 14 and go in and take it out. And that's not good. You don't want that, right? And the reality is that I'd gone to three doctors and they'd done all these x-rays. And, and we were meeting down at the old vet's hall. And the pastor there at the time came and laid hands on me. And the next day we went in. And my, before they were going to start proceeding with the procedure, my mom said, you're taking one more x-ray. The guy said, we got five sets. We don't. She said, another one. I'll pay for it. Just do another x-ray. They did another x-ray, and the cancer was gone, or the growth. We don't know for sure it was cancer, but whatever it was, it was gone. Now, that's the gift of healing, amen? And God healed me. Now, you've heard this story from India. You know, the guy that was driving my car was one of my interpreters. Was t- I said, how did you get saved? I'm asking these guys, and he says, oh, well, when I was nine years old, my mom died. And we're having a funeral for her. We're all Hindus, and we're having a funeral for my mom, and she's laying on this thing, and after 36 hours, the Hindus burn the bodies. 
So we had her all set up to be burned. She'd been dead for a day and a half, and we're all wailing and mourning and weeping, and in walks this guy, and he walks over and lays hands on my mom and prays for her, prays for her and she got up. My whole family got saved. I said, well, I guess so. <laughs> you know, if you go to someone's funeral on Friday and they show up at work on Monday, whoa, right? And that's what happened, but again, now, does God always do that? No. Is it always going to be what's going to bring him glory? No. But does God heal people today? Absolutely. But he does it for the glory of God, not to bring praise to men. Amen? That's why, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about healing crusades and things like that where they're blowing things and people are all falling. I'm concerned about that because who's being glorified? There's always some guy up at front and his name's real big letters and everybody's... No. God be glorified. Amen? He alone be praised and honored and worshiped. And then it says there, the gift of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. What is a miracle? The word there is, is where we get the word dynamic. It's the same word we get, uh, it's di- dynamesis, where it's the act of power. And the Holy Spirit chooses to override the laws of nature working in and through a person. That's a miracle. Have I seen miracles? Yeah, I have. I believe healing is a miracle. But I've also, I know God can do great and awesome things. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. And He's given people the gift, and I believe that the gift of, of working miracles and the gift of healing all start with the gift of faith. Amen? Where they believe, you know, I believe, you know, you're not going to go up and pray for God to raise somebody from the dead unless you've got a lot of faith. Amen? I mean, if I'd have been there, I'd have probably been comforting them. Not praying for the, you know what I mean? Whoa, right? That's heavy. But praise God that there are those who have that gift and who have enough faith to reach out. To another prophecy, the word for prophecy there is foretelling of truth or foretelling of future events. Again, it's in a, always will agree with the word of God and it will always be for God's glory. And again, it usually consists of words of edification and encouragement for the one you're talking to. All right? Does God still deliver prophetic word today? Yes, but it will agree with the Bible. Amen? Then it says there, and others, the, discernment, uh, the other discerning of spirits. To another, discerning of spirits. Discerning between true light and darkness. The Bible says that Satan appears to be an angel of light. You know, example of this in the Bible. Remember Ananias and Sapphira came walking in? You guys know that story? And they said that they gave and sold all they had and gave it to the Lord. And Peter said to them, why do you lie to the Holy Spirit? That's a discernment of spirits. He knew the truth. And he said, you guys are lying. And they fell over dead. You remember that story? Lying to the Holy Spirit is not good, right? They fell over and died. Why? Because they lied to God. They pretended to be something they were not. Praise God that He's merciful in those cases. He says also, so God has given us the gift to discern between truth and the lie. To discern between the Spirit of God and, you know, the guy telling you he's David on the phone, right? No, you're not. Discerning of spirits. He said, to another, different kinds of of tongues. Now though it's interesting the word there for tongues is dialectos. So we get the word for languages. Remember in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church and said they all spoke in other languages and everybody heard the wonderful works of God. Everybody that was there heard the gospel in their own language. So there's two different ways that tongues are manifest. One, it's a language that is spoken that you couldn't know. Maybe like you running into somebody in an airplane and you start speaking to them in Japanese. And you share the gospel with them in Japanese, and you've never studied Japanese in your life. That would be a gift. Amen? And so that person says, oh, man, yeah, that's it, right? But there's also the prayer language that we have, 
that we can have. It's a gift of tongues. I want to make it real clear. We don't have a lot of time to go into it, but tongues, some people tell you that tongues is a proof of salvation. That's not true, because Paul said we should all desire it, but it's the least of all the gifts. Now, should you desire to have the gift? Yes, but is it proof of salvation? Is it proof of baptism in the Holy Spirit? No, because you see many people in the Bible that were baptized in the Spirit who did not have the gift of tongues. Now, it is a gift. It should be desired, but it's not proof of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So he says, now, I want to say this too. It's done decently and in order. There will be times we're going to start Sunday night services in February. Just one, night, one Sunday night a month, and it's just going to be a worship time. Like a believer's meeting, where you can come in and worship and be prayed for, and I've had a burden to do this for a long time. And we're going to do that. And there might be times where somebody, the Lord's going to give them something to speak, and they're going to get them speaking in an unknown language. But if that happens, look what it says, the, next, the rest of the verse. Another, the interpretation of tongues. If somebody speaks in an unknown language, then somebody else is going to be able to interpret it. If they don't, it's not God. And the Bible says clearly that if it happens, it'll be one or two or three at the most. They'll be done decently and in order. You won't have 50 people jumping up and all speaking in tongues at the same time. Some of you have probably seen that before. That's not God. Why? Because the Bible says so. But I've seen it. It's powerful. It's not God. I don't care how powerful you think it is. It doesn't agree with the Bible. Amen? And the Word of God is the final court of authority, not our experience. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. All these gifts are unique and diverse, and they're given by God. Again, they're not earned by men, but they're given out by God as He wills. These gifts, the Holy Spirit is the source. And He's the one who gives these gifts to us. We're not going to finish the chapter. This is not going to happen. Um, let me look at the last, look a couple more verses here, and then we'll stop. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. You know what? We're diverse in our gifts, but we're one body. We're one in Christ. This is why fellowship is so important, is God has brought us together as one. And as we're going to see next week, some of us are eyes, and some of us are ears, and some of us are mouths, and some of us are feet, and some of us might feel bad because maybe we're something that people wouldn't see. And we sometimes think that the gifts that are seen, those are the important ones. I want to be the mouth. I want to be the hands. I want to be what everybody sees. I don't want to be what's covered up. You know, I don't want to be the ankle. You know, I want to be that. I want to be, you know, the part that everybody looks at. And you know what's interesting is we'll see next week, the Bible tells us that those who, who serve in secret, secret will be rewarded openly. And you know what? You don't think your ankle's important until you break it. Amen. And then all of a sudden, that thing's real important. You don't think that tooth in the back of your mouth that you don't think about much until it's got an abscess, and all of a sudden, that tooth's really important. Amen? The rest of your body, oh, right? And, then, you know, I got a broken finger. Do you see how that thing healed? That's not right, is it? Can you see that? Didn't heal right. Okay, I got to get it rebroken this week. Yeah, they healed. They, and I, you know what? I know this finger, I never thought about this finger, and I think about it all the time now. <laughs> I go to pick stuff up, it falls out of my hand, I can't work out, every time I hit it, it hurts, right? And so the reality is that the body of Christ, the same is true when you're not here, and you have a gift, you're missing. You might not think it's a big deal, but the body suffers. When my finger is broken, my body suffers. 
And sometimes it's those that we don't see that we think are less significant have the most importance. Nobody can see your heart, but if the heart stops working, we're in trouble. Amen? And the same is true for each of you. God has gifted you. God has baptized you into the same family or part of the same body. It's so important that we be here together, that we use our gifts, that others might be encouraged in their faith, that others might be drawn closer to the Lord. So in conclusion, let me go all the way back here to the back of these notes that I never got to. That's the great thing about teaching verse by verse through the Bible, right? We'll just pick up in verse 12 next week. I wanted to share this. As the body of Christ, we're indwelt by the same Spirit, and God has divinely brought us together. We're to use our spiritual gifts for the benefit of the whole body. And if I'm not here, it harms the whole body. If others aren't here, I miss out. It's here that I'm fed and encouraged and strengthened in my walk. It's here that I enter into corporate worship and get a taste of heaven. It's here that I'm able to use my gifts to minister to others and others are able to use their gifts to minister to me. It's here where I am comforted in times of grieving and trials and difficulty. It's here where my family rejoices with me in times of great blessing. You know, it's been said that blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Amen? And you know what's awesome to me? That as the church, as we come together, not out of religious duty or to score brownie points with God, as we come to be fed and encouraged and strengthened and challenged to worship, to love, to give, and to use our gifts. Man, it's a get to and not a have to. Amen? Going to church is not, should not be a have to. We should wake up on Sunday morning. Yeah, I get to go to church today. Amen? I get to go see my family. I get to, you know what? Why do I hug on every one of you guys? Some of you don't like it, but I'm going to hug you anyway. And you know what? I hug on you guys because I'm praying for you all week, and I look forward to seeing my family on Sunday. Amen? And when we come, we ought to come with that heart and come say, you know what? If you're out of fellowship, your walk's going to suffer. You're going to be that coal taken out of the pile of hot coals and set off by itself. It's going to get cold really fast. We need to be together to encourage and strengthen each other in our walk with God. And by the way, we're going to have prayer available after church today. If you're going through difficulty, we're here to pray for you. Don't go through difficulty alone. We're your family. Amen? We want to pray for you. We want to minister to you. We want to encourage you. And we want to rejoice with you when things are wonderful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that we are one body. And we thank you. It's not because of our gifts or works, but Lord, the gifts you've given us. Lord, that you would use us for your glory. I pray you would help us, Lord, to use the gifts to minister one to another. Father, I pray for those who are here who don't know what their gifts are, that this morning would be a time when they'd examine their hearts and say, Lord, show me how you want to use me. And then that they would step up in obedience to the calling you place upon their life. Father, I pray for those who have the gifts that I don't have, Lord, that, that you would use them to minister to me. And Lord, those who, who I have a gift to minister to, that you would use my gifts to minister to them. Lord, that's the body of Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are going through difficulty right now, that we can... Be a family who loves and encourages one another. That, Lord, we can soften one another's burdens. That we would grieve, but we would not grieve as those without hope. And, Lord, at the same time, I pray also for the blessings that we would rejoice with one another and encourage one another. So, Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you that this is only possible because you are our God, you're our Lord, you're our Savior, you're our King. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.